Good morning. I am so, good morning, guys. That was terrific. I am so blessed to be here this morning. Uh, last week, uh, I was not here. I was away, and uh, I worked really hard throughout the week to make sure Sunday mornings go off without a hitch and to make sure things on the home front are good. And I was with some guys connecting, and it was terrific. I was up super early and watching the sunrise over Lake Pleasant in New York, upstate New York. And uh, one of the last things I say before I leave on something like that is, don't call me or text me unless something's on fire or the alarms are going off or... <laughs> they called. <laughs> um, imagine my panic when I see Eastern Security Systems and the Rehoboth Fire Department calling me and I'm like, really, really, really? So I'm really glad, though, that we were able to gather together, that we were able to uh, still come together, um, not, in this, not just in this building, but together as a church, uh, even with all the, the, the hecticness of the morning and the fire trucks and the fire chief and all those sorts of things. So glad that everything was okay and that nothing uh, serious was taking place. Um, but here we are. We're in week five, running in circles. And uh, it's this series that we're that we're doing where we're talking about how we come and we gather on Sunday mornings and we sit in these nice, neat rows with chairs that are, uh, excuse me, with Bibles that are on your chairs this morning, not under your chairs. We've had a lot, of, a lot of casualties over the last couple of weeks. Um, but you notice we, we come and we sit in nice, neat rows on Sunday mornings. But the reality is we do life together in circles. We have circles of influence. And that's where true growth, growth takes place. We weren't created to live life alone. We talk about this all the time. We were created for this deep, interdependent, interdependent relationship, not only with God, but also with each other. There's a passive scripture that's one that's very uh, dear to my heart. It's one that I, that I hold, to, hold on to often. I share it with the students quite often. It's from Matthew 22, and it's where Jesus is sharing uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are, are challenging him and asking questions about the greatest commandment. And he, he comes out and says, the, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I imagine in that moment, they're getting ready to cut him off, and, but he continues and says, the second is equally as important, to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and that's amazing, this idea of love God and love others. This past year as a church, we had a significant emphasis on this idea of loving God and our relationship with him, acknowledging him as creator of our lives and us as his creation. Our Sunday morning content, the coaching, the community groups, everything was focused around this idea. However, this series, Running in Circles, the emphasis is focused more on the, the second half of that passage of Scripture, loving others. What does it look like to love others? And what does it look like to be loved by others? We recognize that when we love others, the way Christ loves us, that rugged commitment we are in turn, we're bringing glory to God. These two ideas, though completely separate, are completely interdependent on one another. When we love God, when we allow him to shape our lives, when we allow him to, to change us deep within, a natural byproduct of that is how we love and treat others. As a kid, there was a song I used to sing in, in my Baptist church growing up, Warren Baptist Church. It was uh, down in the, the kids' program that they had and it was, they will know we are Christians by our love. And, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but that was pretty much the song. Um, they will know we are Christians by our love. And as I started thinking about that, as I started preparing for this morning, 
I realized, sure, you know what? It's, it's really easy to come here on Sunday morning and to love each other, isn't it? I mean, we're all on our best behavior, for the exception of my kids. Um, we're, we, we come in, and it's really easy to put a smile on. When you, when you close the door to your vehicle, it's kind of like you leave all that in there, and you come in here, and everything's okay, and we love each other, and we smile, and we laugh, and we do life together. But what about on the way out of church? The door closes again. What about the drive home? What about the break room at work? What about the cafeteria or the playground? What about the ball field? Do the way we treat others truly reflect our love for God? Do our relationships reflect our desire to bring glory to God in everything that we do? Over the last few weeks, we've broken relationships down into four corners. We have it on the screen here. We have the corner one, this disconnected relationship. Corner two, the bad connection, that, that relationship that takes so much life away. But what's interesting about it is it gives just enough to keep you coming back for more. Corner three, the fake connection, the superficial connection. There's, there's really no substance there. It's the relationships that we run to for that quick fix, but yet we're not challenged. There's no true commitment there. And corner four, the true connection. C4, corner four. This is the relationship that's defined with rugged commitment, and that stems out of John 15, the passage that we've been in for the whole series. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the question I want to ask this morning, how do we live and how do we continue to live in relationships built on rugged commitment? How do we stay in a well-balanced, corner-four diet for the rest of our lives? Now, I'll be honest with you, diets are not something I've had a lot of success with. You can laugh, I'm a big guy. I can handle it. It's a struggle. It's a huge, huge struggle for me. I admit that it's something that I, I'm trying to overcome and, and I haven't been able to, but mostly because I've tried to do it on my own. And what's interesting is food, food doesn't argue with me. It doesn't disappoint me, very rarely. Oh, dinner last night wasn't great, but that's okay. That was on me, not Kate. It's never not been there for me. It's never not been there when I needed it or wanted it. It's never let me down the way that people have. So the idea of maintaining a healthy, well-balanced diet built on relationships and commitment, I'll be honest with you, it terrifies me. In the same way that I imagine it, it scares a lot of us. The idea of truly opening yourself up and being vulnerable when you can't rely just on yourself. I stand up here this morning sharing these words with you as someone that needs them more than anyone in the room. This series, we've looked at the importance of having people in our lives that support us, people that are safe, people that push. And this morning, we're going to look at the importance of having people in our lives that build. And people that build create an external structure for an internal change. If you want to stay in a well-balanced corner four diet, this is what we need to do. We need to, we need to build and we need to create an external structure for an internal change. We need structure in our lives. We need structure to the point 
of internalization. Many of you know I have four beautiful children, three girls ages seven, five, and three, and a little boy, Frankie, about 20 months old, uh, stubborn just as much as I am. And I find myself frustrated all the time as a parent, and I'm sure many of you can relate. How many of you have to repeat yourself? I'm not the only one, right? Yeah, over and over and over again. And if you know my children, particularly my third youngest, Addison, no, Addison, you can't go outside without clothes on. But Dad, it's snowing. I know exactly why you can't go outside with clothes on. And I say this over and over and over again. The kids know exactly what I'm talking about. All right, this idea that uh, put on your jacket, put on your gloves, eat the rest of your dinner, eat your vegetables, brush your teeth, wear your helmet, look both ways, all these things. I find myself saying over and over and over again, and I get frustrated more and more and more. And it dawned on me, do you know why I get so frustrated at this? Do you know why we have to repeat ourselves? Because they're not their thoughts. They're our thoughts. To Addison, I'm not sure why, it is completely normal to go outside completely naked (laughs) in 18 inches of snow. She needs a loving father to come around her and to help these thoughts become her thoughts. And it's interesting, like it was this, this little thing that clicked for me, like, wow, their thoughts aren't my thoughts. And it gave me grace and patience to understand this. It doesn't just happen as a child. It's something that as adults we do uh, fairly often as well. Have you ever noticed how when you hang out with someone or you spend a lot of time with someone, you start to pick up on their little uh, idiosyncrasies? Maybe you start to pick up a phrase or two that they say, something you've never said in your entire life. That's internalization, church. That's what that is. Are you tracking with me? That was for you, Brandon. <laughs> see, see how I did that? <laughs> internalization, all right? It's something that's happening all around us. Internalization is this. It's the gradual process by which patterns, tones, fueling, and cadences of our relationships become embedded in the internal structure of our minds. I'm gonna say that again. Internalization is the gradual process by which the patterns, tones, fueling, and cadences of our relationships become embedded in the internal structure of our minds. It's, it's bringing the outside in. And, and that's important for us to understand that our ability, our capacity to grow doesn't start here. It starts with outside influence coming in. And this is a counterintuitive thought. We live in a generation of DIYers, not just for windows and doors and flooring, but for everything. If you've ever been to a brick and mortar bookstore, you've noticed that the largest section, self-help. Somehow, as a society, we've come around this idea that we can simply pull up the bootstraps, I did it again, by ourselves, that that it's something that we can do. You hear sayings uh, in these books like, change your thinking, change your life. You can't love anyone else until you first love yourself. Find the power within. Overcome fear with positive self-talk. Positive thinking, the key to success. You have the power. It's all about you, 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 you. We often disregard the importance of relationships in our lives, and and particularly the relationships that provide that external structure and support to facilitate internal change. God places people in our lives to help us become the very people that he created us out to be at the beginning of time. Yet we often disregard these people. We often disregard these relationships for the self-help section. When I was 20 years old, I learned the importance of external support and structure in a very real and very practical way. I was a builder. 
I've been doing it for a couple of years. I had kind of moved my way up. I was a foreman on a crew, and we were putting a second story on a house in Bristol. We had spent days getting ready, uh, cutting all the jack studs and the cripples and assembling headers and all this stuff. And most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, except for like guys like Don. Um, and, and we're getting everything ready to go, and we're waiting for a break in the weather where we can deck build all the walls, stand them up, and put the roof on in one day. The day had come. I'm there, a buddy with me, a couple of laborers. We assemble everything, and we go, and we stand up this wall, and it, it's 48 feet long. That's a long wall. We stand this wall up, and we get it up, but we realize that there's one thing that we're missing, the brace. I tell the guys, hold on. I turn. I bend over it, and I grab a two-by-four and a block, and I feel this breeze in my face. And I'll be honest with you, it was refreshing because it was a hot July day. And then the worst thing imaginable happened. That 48-foot wall turned into a giant sail and went crashing down the outside of the house. Fell two stories. It was a sloped backyard. It destroyed a grill, uh, a deck, broke a couple of windows, destroyed all the siding. Fortunately, there was no one down there and no one got hurt. It was just a big mess and an awful phone call that I had to make. You know, what's interesting about that is everything was okay. Everything was going according to plan until it wasn't. Everything was fine until it wasn't. And that's how we live our lives, right? Everything's fine. Everything's great until you get that phone call, until you get that message, until everything comes crashing down, crashing down around you. That external support and structure that we need is often so close, yet it's far enough away that all the pieces come tumbling down when they don't have to. We simply can't will things to be better. We simply can't go to the self-help section and make things better again. There's a quote in a, a little phrase in Henry Cloud's book, The Power of the Other, that really stood out to me. It says this, when your car runs out of gas, you visit a gas station. You can't talk to it and make it go. And I read this line, and it was like, it was this brilliant thought. When you run out of gas, you need a gas station. You can't do it on your own. We were created to live in relationships, godly relationships, structured relationships. We are shaped in those community groups, in those, in the, in those communities of people to become more like Jesus Christ. And this is exactly the type of relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Paul mentored Timothy, and he was sent by Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city, a very important city in the Roman Empire, a city with a huge, thriving economy. And as the church began to grow, the city began to change, not only spiritually, but the economy started to become significantly affected as well because a large part of that economy was based on uh, the fabrication of other religious idols. So as we began to create more and more Christians, work began to decrease. Everything was a mess. And Paul recognized, Paul recognized that the church, the people needed structure in order to be successful, in order to change, in order to grow. So Paul sent Timothy uh, to help create an external structure needed to see the internal change. And what's interesting, when I say church, I'm not talking about four walls. I, I think we have a, a tendency to do that. 
We have a tendency to think, I'm going to church. No. We come to a building that happens to have an acoustic drum set, chairs, Bibles, a stage, lights. But this building would be nothing without you, without us. Paul's writing to Timothy, encouraging to come around and to provide support for the people, not a building. When I was building that second story, I needed structure in order to build the walls and to hold them in place while everything else came up around it. Even if that support was temporary, it was important. It needed to be there. It's the same way when you bake a cake. You have all these different ingredients. You have all your, your dry ingredients, your flour, your sugar, uh, your salt, uh, some baking powder, and you, and you put all these together, the right amounts of which I might add, and you put them together into a bowl, and, you, and then you, add, start, you start to add some of the liquid ingredients. You have water. We have some oil. That's right, I'm baking a cake in church. I told you I struggle with diets. All right. You had the eggs, and, and you put them in this bowl, and you, and you start to mix. I may not have thought this out very well. And, and you begin to mix. I'm going to keep mixing. But the ingredients by themselves, they're not that great, are they? Unless you're a bodybuilder, many of us have never swallowed a raw egg before, whole. Flour. My kids think it's sugar sometimes. I don't tell them. <laughs> I don't teach them. Have you ever drank a cup of oil? You know what's awesome, though? You put the right amount of ingredients together. You give it a mix. You give it some time. I don't know if anyone likes to lick the spoon, but it's pretty good. It's not done, that, done yet, though, is it? You know what's interesting? This is kind of like a corner two relationship. You get just enough of the right ingredients, just enough to give yourself a little taste, just enough to get you coming back for more, but it's really not what you set out to create, is it? No, there's another step. You need a pan. You need a cake pan. Without it, you'd be making a giant mess in your kitchen and your wife would kill you. You need a cake pan to pour this batter into. And the purpose of this cake pan is to provide external structure while everything comes together and it's created and it doesn't need this structure for just a moment. It needs it for the right amount of time until it's done baking, when you get to enjoy that fluffy, moist cake. It, it seems like a silly illustration, but the ingredients by themselves, the Sunday morning gatherings, the coaching, the content, individually, uh, they're not enough. The community group's not enough. You need it all together. You need it for the right amount. There's going to be seasons of our lives where we need one more than the other. But it's all worthless if we don't have structure in our lives to create the change, to see the change take shape in our lives. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, where we're going to be spending some time this morning, you can follow along in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. I think it's page 997. In 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, we find three things necessary to structure change in our lives. 1 Timothy, along with 2 Timothy in the book of Titus, often referred to as Paul's 
pastoral letters. They're referred this way because Paul's not writing to a church specifically. He's not writing to a city. He's writing to his friends. He's writing to, he's writing to his true son in faith. And that's how we start out in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. It says, I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and to stop those teaching who's contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Jumping down to verse 14, it says, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with faith, with love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying. He says that five times in the book of 2 Timothy and Titus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. The first thing we need to structure change in our lives is content. Paul is reminding Timothy to stay gospel-centered, to stay focused. He's reminding him that it's Jesus Christ who changes lives, not us. We need information that outlines the changes that we need to make in our lives. We need information that points out our blind spots. Wonder why? Because they're our blind spots. We don't see them without it. We need to internalize God's word. We come and we gather together, not at a church, but as a church each and every week so that we can fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith so that he can shape us and mold us through his word, that he can shape us, our broken lives, our broken hearts to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. We need this content the same way that the wall I was building needed a brace. We need this content the same way this cake batter we need content. We need our Sunday morning gatherings. The second thing we need to have an external structure in our lives and to see change is this. We need coaching. We need community groups and we need uh, next steps. Jumping into verse five here, it says, the purpose of my instruction, the purpose of my instruction, the reason I'm writing this letter, the coaching that I'm providing you, he says, is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. They've turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. 
They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. See, if you come and you, you just hear the words, but you never actually dive into it, and you never have someone to come around you and coach you, you start to wander off. You're like baking the cake, and you pour it into a cookie sheet instead of a, can, a pan. It never takes shape. It never becomes who God created you to be. Throughout First and Second Timothy, Paul charges Timothy a number of times in, in very specific coaching. He coaches him on how to teach. He coaches him on how to love, on how to preach the gospel, on how to lead well, on how to pursue righteousness. He teaches him on how to be rich in good deeds. He teaches him how to preach the scriptures. See, we need coaching that can help us take our next steps. We need coaching that helps us see and navigate the roadblocks and the blind spots in our lives. The content merely points them out. It's great to come in on Sunday morning and be like, yeah, I need, I need to change that. But it's a blind spot. Who's going to help you navigate it? Who's going to help you come around that struggle? We need coaching. That's exactly why we started shooting uh, different content for our community groups each and every week, separate from the Sunday morning teaching. That's exactly why we have a Next Steps Hub out in the lobby. It's a great sp to, uh, space to stop and have a mint, but that's really not the idea. <laughs> it's so that what God is stirring up inside of us in, in these gatherings, in these moments, we can go and we can find an actionable next step and we can get the coaching that we need to help us become everything that God created us to be. People that build, they have an external structure that helps them realize an internal change. External coaching promotes that internal change. And lastly, the third thing that we need to structure change in our lives is community. Community, it's that simple. Timothy is Paul's true child in faith. We, we read that in verse one, excuse me, verse two, chapter one. Timothy is Paul's true child in faith. He's truly invested in Timothy's growth and as a result, the growth of the church. Paul and Timothy are working alongside each other through blood and sweat and tears. They shared commonality in their calling and in their purpose. They celebrated their victories together. They mourned loss together. This is a letter that Paul is writing to his son, not to a church, not to a city, to his son. It's deeply personal. Without a group of people who are walking with the same challenges as you, without a group of people who can be with you and remind you of the gospel day in and day out, without a group of people who can recall your past with you in a way that charges you and recharges you, without a group of people that fuels you and refuels you for, the, for your future, it will be nearly impossible to become the masterpiece that God created you to be. We need people in our lives that are ruggedly, ruggedly committed to us into who we were created to be. 
We don't need corners one, two, and three. We need corner four. We need people in our lives that are committed to walking alongside us as we strive to be like Jesus. That content, that coaching, that community, it's all an external structure that allows us to invest in the things that are most important to us. To see the change that we want to see take place in our lives. We need to be intentional about building this structure. If you've ever met someone uh, that has been in recovery uh, or gone through the recovery program, it's an ongoing process. One of their first steps towards sobriety is, is setting up their meetings and their meeting schedule. Many individuals set up multiple meetings a day as they start. They space them out very specifically. Sometimes it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and what they do is they, they realize how far they can go on their own before they need that external support and structure before they fail. So they, they figure that out, and that's, and that's how they set up their meetings. So some people go three times a day for a very long time. And then they go down to two times a day. And maybe they go back to three. Eventually down to one. Every other day. Every couple of days. Once a week. Maybe there's a season in their lives where they find themselves going back three times a day. You get the idea. They recognize that for there to be internal change, true internal change, there is an exterior support that needs to take place, that needs to be there, that needs to be in place. Those meetings, they provide content, they provide coaching, they provide community for people. There's that structure that allows them to see desire change. If you need more time with your kids, Schedule it. Schedule it. Don't let work get in the way of what's most important. Don't let Mo, uh, a sermon come in the way of watching Moana with your kid. I had a very real practical test at this last night. I was literally writing this, and my daughter said, let's watch Moana. I almost said no. Schedule that time. Make it non-negotiable. Your friends want to go out for dinner? Great. Pick a different day. Schedule that time. Make it purposeful. Maybe you need to commit to be here on Sunday mornings. Make that commitment. What's stopping you? Block out the time each and every week for your community group. Here's a novel idea. Don't let soccer and dance get in the way. If that's important to you, if you really want to see that change, structure it. Maybe tithing is a challenge. Giving an offering to God. Structure it. Set up an online reoccurring gift. Put structure in your life where you need it most. If you want to become the person that God created you to be, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. Love God, love others. You need people around you. You need processes and structure around you to become the person that God created you to be. Make a co uh, commitment to participate in God's mission through serving. Don't just say, I'm going to serve. Schedule it. Reach out to the leader and say, hey, I'm going to be here this Wednesday. I'm going to be here on Thursday. I'm going to be here on Sunday, and I'm, I'm going to be ready to go. Don't put off till tomorrow what you know you need to do today. 
Maybe I'm the only one, but I do it all the time. Don't put off till tomorrow what you know you need to do today. The reality is we're all being shaped and we're all being molded. There's things that are being internalized within us every single day. The question that we're going to ask is, is it God that's shaping you or is it the world? If you want to see God do immeasurably more than you ever thought possible in your life, you need to provide some structure in your life. You need content, you need coaching, you need community. There's a, a video that I've watched with the students quite a few times. And it's around this idea of becoming uh, the masterpiece that God created you to be. And it's a video that I want to share with you this morning. And as we watch it, I want you to think about this moment, right here, right now. What is it that stirring up inside of you that you've been trying to do on your own, but in this moment you realize that you can't do it on your own? What change is needed? What needs to be chiseled away so that you can become the beautiful masterpiece that God created you to be? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to gather together as a church. Lord, we thank you for not only the rows we sit in, but for the circles that we do life in. Father, we, we ask that as we, we close out our time together this morning that you reveal yourself to us. We ask that you you point out what needs to change. You, we ask that you point out the next steps in the structure that we need so that we can become all that you created us to be. In your name we pray. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean... Maybe a Picasso, it's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa, who are you? I'm God, you said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer, that's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay, if you're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that, don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. 
I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. With the platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust. Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty 
wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character when you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um, I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. And chisel away. But just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying, it's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me, 
and use me then. God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's. No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy, is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. Make junk. He doesn't. We may make mistakes, we may have challenges, there may be obstacles, there may be blind spots to navigate and to overcome, but he doesn't make junk. I think too often we try to do it on our own. Too often we think that just showing up on Sunday mornings once a month or even every week is going to be enough. But we got to allow God to get in there and to chisel out everything that doesn't belong there. We need to structure our lives in a way that allows that internal change to take place so we can become the beautiful masterpiece that he created you to be, that he designed you to be. And that process, it hurts. The hammer and the chisel it can hurt, and it can be scary, and it can be terrifying. It's painful. But there's also nothing better. The hammer and the chisel that he uses are often the relationships and the people that he puts around us. And like I said, it can be scary. It can be scary to sit in a group of people and open up and share how you're truly feeling. But we weren't created to do it alone. We can try, but we're not going to get very far. We come and we gather together because we want to live our lives fully devoted to Christ. We want to be who he created us to be. But yet we walk out these doors and we get into our car and sometimes we leave it there until next Sunday. So put that structure in place. Allow God to do what only he can do. Allow God to do immeasurably more than you ever thought possible. 
And yeah, sometimes it's with a hammer and a chisel. But when we allow that to happen, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at the masterpiece that you are. God doesn't make junk. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and just acknowledge you as your creator over our lives. Lord, we commit these moments to you. We commit our lives to you, and we ask you to do what only you can do. Lord, you've placed people, you've placed this church in our lives, you've placed, you've placed us here right now for a reason. And Lord, we, we're gonna ask that you help us step out of the way so you do what only you do. We commit this time to you. In your name we pray.